There we go. So we had a, we had a unique uh, study last week. As you know, we, uh, we ended up um, doing a rabbit trail after only a couple of verses. And uh, I wanted to mention at least one thing before uh, we went on from there. And that is, if any of you are interested in delving deeper into the subject that we looked at last uh, week, <coughs> the issue of uh, end times and um, eschatology, uh, I, I would suggest, I don't know, this looks like backwards on here, but it's called Things to Come. It's, uh, it was by Dwight Pentecost. It is a heavy book, uh, both physically and, uh, and mentally. It's not an easy read. Uh, it, is, uh, it is definitely a, a seminary level uh, book. Uh, Pentecost was a dispensationalist. He does deal with certain aspects of the other uh, issues and then presents arguments, uh, many arguments on them. He deals with issues like how do you, uh, uh, you know, how do you interpret scripture and uh, what are some of the other meanings that are involved? It deals with the covenants that are found in scripture and how they apply to today. Um, talks about methods of interpretation. How do you interpret prophecy? Um, Etc. And then uh, again, uh, end times as well, uh, all the way through the various, uh, some of the various dispensations that are yet to come. And so if you're interested, great. If not, that's fine too. It's about a five or 600 page book. Rick actually struggled through it and made it all the way through. And uh, so uh, hats off to him. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, I think we. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it's a great book. So. Uh, I'm assuming it's available uh, if you want to do digital. If not, it, I know it's still available in a, in a hardcover as well. What Sorry. year was that? What year was that printed? Oh man, it is. Uh, uh, Dwight uh, Pentecost has passed on. Let me just give me a second here. Let me. Um, so. It's actually copyrighted in '58. Okay, so it might be worth something. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. Um, anyhow. Uh, Pentecost is a uh, one of my favorite uh, writers on the subject, um, and again, everybody that you know, has a, you know there are umpteen opinions about how those things go. But if you're interested, I thought I'd pull it out off the shelf and say, "Here's something." If you want to go a little deeper, if you don't, I totally understand. Have you got uh, a uh, eschatology for dummies that the rest of us can read? Or <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know off the top of my head i'd have to think about it uh, but uh, the chart that i gave you would uh that, that shows the four different major uh families of eschatology uh amillennial post-millennial uh pre-millennial uh either dispensational or historical uh are the the four major uh, groups. If you want to just, if you want to, if you want to read about eschatology from and for for dummies for uh, dispensationalism, I would recommend that you just read the read the first novel or two of um, the the uh, Left Behind series. Yeah, that's <clears throat> easy. To read. Four or five uh, books. There's I don't know. There's like twenty or thirteen. Yeah, or yeah it's like twenty now. I think yeah. But There's a ton know. of them around, but uh, just if you minute. read the first uh, five or six, you probably Even get a one or two. Feel yeah, of, yeah. Uh, or 
or even read read the book of Daniel with a preacher that you like. You know, like <laughs> I like Jay, Jay Vernon Jay McGee. 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 He goes, be, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he goes through Daniel and yeah, he spent some time there. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the interesting thing about me and that, uh, oh, darn it, now I just, what's the name of the one? The simple book. Uh, uh, things. That was given to me, oh, oh way before I was a Christian. And that's when my that's what started me to think, what the heck? Is, there's something more. I, I otherwise I had no idea, and uh, it, it took me. And then I started reading them all, and and that, that drove me to church. I, that's probably the I, I might not be the only person that that got it from that. But it was it's just oh, an amazing, is. simple to read, and like yeah. wow, there's something more uh, after life, and. Uh, it, it's 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 an eye opener. And another question I had is: Didn't Pentecostal's book? It's been a while since I read it. Yeah. One of them had like uh, he proposes all four of those on almost every question. On all the, or is that a different book that I have? Well, uh, he does specifically deal with uh, uh, the issue of uh, rapture and when when does the rapture happen? So he, yeah. He, yeah. Pre, post, and mid, and yeah, and he, he a partial rapture. Them. Yeah. So it, to me, I thought it was a pretty, pretty fair book. Though he has, I have obviously biased one. You know, oh, of so, course. Yeah. yeah. There is a there is a series out there. I'd have to look at it and try to find it. I assume that it would deal with um, with these these four major points because it it takes what it does is it takes uh, prophecy yeah. or or some aspect of theology and it presents it to you from three or four different perspectives. Yeah. <laughs> Each person writes on it uh, that, that takes a particular point of view, and then the other two critique their presentation. Yeah. Yes, the that's, the one, that's the one. I can't remember. I have it. I'll look. I'll find it afterwards. It, it is, uh, <laughs> it, it's a, an amazing work, and you, you, know, you, you read it, and you go, oh, that's what I believe. And then yeah. you read the next, and then they, oh, that's you, good too. They, they tear each other apart, you know, in, in their in the discussion. You go, oh, okay, maybe not. So then you read the next, the next position. You go, oh yeah, that that must be it. And then you start reading everyone else's critique of their. You go, no, yeah. no, yeah. You get to the yeah. third one, and that's just, a great board. It ends yeah. up, it ends up. What my position uh, and my take on it was after you read all of the, the particular aspects of it. You have to make a choice. They all have they all have decent arguments. They all have decent arguments against. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes and and the other thing you're going to find is if you delve into this very deeply, is you'll find that each uh, position will use the same scripture. They'll just interpret it differently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know it all comes down to what you're comfortable with and allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Um, you know, on my uh, eschatology, I haven't changed from the time I was uh, I was raised in this particular vent uh, section of uh, theology. But as I studied it and I studied the other aspects of it, I decided that for me, this made sense. This is what I felt God was directing me towards. There are other aspects of my theology that have changed over the years because as I studied them, I realized, you know what, maybe... Maybe they're right. You know, maybe I need to change my position, which is also one of the problems I have with trying to teach the book of Daniel, or the book of Revelation, because I know that if I ever taught it and I came back a couple of years later, I would have to reteach it a whole different, from a whole different perspective. It's every six months, it'd be. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. So anyhow, that being said, let's get back to Colossians or we'll never going to get through this. You yes. thought, you thought, uh, 
you thought, uh, what did we do? Philippians was bad. Man, oh man, we're not doing <laughs> we're, not doing so we're really slowing down to a crawl here on, in Colossians. So anyhow, we're back in Colossians chapter 1. And we dealt with just a couple of verses last week. Uh, a little bit of uh, t- verse 24, a little bit of 25, maybe a little of 26. But I wanted to read through this section again. And then maybe read a couple of verses of uh, second, the second chapter as well. So it says now, in the, I'm in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24 and following. It says, now rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become a servant by the commission of of God gave by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all of his energy, which is so powerful, powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I, have, I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of the complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right, so let's go back and and do just a little quick review. Um, In verse 24, he talks about suffering. We talked about this in the past, and, and we thought that perhaps the best way of understanding this and, uh, uh, and Christ's afflictions is that not only does Christ suffer and Paul suffer for, uh, Christ suffers for the, the sake of, for the salvation of the world, but also as a part of the body, as the head, the head acknowledges the suffering that other parts of the body experience. It experiences along with them. And so in that way, Christ seems to um, uh, go with us through the pain We've talked a little bit about uh, the, the the commission that that Paul received. We talked about the mystery, and we talked and, and the mystery is where we got things kind of went off on a rabbit trail last week, which is typical of us. I understand that. I did want to point out a couple of things, just reemphasize the word servant here, where it says Paul is our servant. Um, he is. Um, uh, it's important to note that this word is the is the word deaconos, uh, deaconus, uh, deacon, if you will. It has the idea of uh, a true servant uh, rather than a position of authority or, or leadership. That is also a possibility if you use the word, uh, the, the Greek word is uh, dolos, which is also uh, can be translated slave, but it can also sometimes carry on with the authorities where you've been given the authority to speak for the master, if you will. So uh, just like the Old Testament talks about people who are the servant of the Lord, that's the same perspective. Certainly it could be the slave of the Lord, the one who has the authority to speak for God. 
And that's not the, the, the role that Paul is taking here with the word that he chooses. He's talking about a service that fulfills part of the divine plan that God planned out long, long ago. And he's doing this through Paul. So um, where uh, Paul and the Jews are differentiating in this whole idea of mystery, they, they believed in the mysteries of God and that, that the mystery for them was the end times and that, there, that when the kingdom would be finally set up, there would be a time of persecution, a time of tribulation. They just didn't believe that the Gentiles would be allowed into the, the kingdom. That, that was the part that really blew them out of the water. Um, we find today the idea of mystery as, as something that's eerie, frightening, uh, totally you know unknown. And yeah, that's true. It's totally unknown, but it's not frightening. It's not a. It's not eerie. It's actually a blessing, especially for us who are Gentiles, because we suddenly have the opportunity of uh, coming into the family of God. Now. Again, um, the, the Jews uh, also struggled with the idea of a Messiah who would have to suffer first before coming into his glory or before ruling. Remember, it was not unusual for uh, groups of, uh, of uh, Jews to think that um, there were multiple messiahs. Some uh, postulated two, some postulated a possibility of even three. There would be a kingly Messiah, a priestly Messiah, and possibly even a third Messiah, which would be a prophetic Messiah. Where did they derive that from, Val? Uh, the readings of the Messiah, and you start reading about the fact that he's going to be a conqueror, and then you read about uh, that he's also a person who's going to be uh, uh, representing them, uh, God to them, and them to God, and also the fact that he would suffer. Uh, out of uh, Isaiah, yeah. um, the, those things were really confusing, and, and you know it didn't make sense because their their thought process was the Messiah comes and that's it, he comes, and everything's put right. And one of the mysteries we believe is that Christ comes twice. He comes first as a suffering servant, and then he'll come as the ruling uh, king the next time. The reigning king. And so that was a mystery. That was totally, you know, they didn't expect it. They were thinking and they weren't thinking in those terms. And so often, isn't that true with us? We, we think a particular way. And then when we really find out what's going on, we go, oh, it's totally different than what I thought. Isn't that, at least it's always been true. I don't know about always, but often true for me with God is I think I know exactly how God ought to do things. I have it all planned out in my mind. And then when it actually happens, I go, that's not what I expected. That's yeah. kind of what happens with, uh, I think a lot of us, as we tend to read through a set of lenses. If you were, if, if first century Jews, they didn't care about, a lot of them didn't care about whether or not you had a priestly Messiah. What you cared about was throwing off the, the yoke of Rome. You know, they had experienced just several hundred years before that. Well, actually even, or right around the time of, of Herod uh, the Great, they, up to that point in time, they had their own kingdom again for several hundred years, for a hundred years, 200 years roughly. You had the Maccabees, you had the, um, uh, uh, 
just escape me. The, 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 the Hasmoneans, the Hasmoneans were, were the kings of Israel. They were, they were actually priests who took on the responsibility of kings. So they actually blended the two right together, but they couldn't figure that out from scripture. Uh, for them, it didn't make sense to have both together. So they were expecting someone to come in and kick uh, Rome out and take over. And for them, the, the, what it meant for us as Gentiles was so much different. You know, for there was Romans 10 says there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, uh, whether you're a Jew, a Greek, whether you, what sexual, whether you're a male or female, it makes no difference. <laughs> And that's what, uh, and that's the part that was that were, that the Jews were struggling. Plus, they were struggling with the fact that there's no difference because you know. Remember, if you're a Gnostic, you want to share with them the special knowledge, special sauce, if you will. You know, and without the special sauce, well, you know, it was a special sauce that was available to everybody. It wasn't just available to some, and that kind of you know made the false teachers a little unhappy about Paul telling everyone, no, 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 everyone can have it. it, it it's no longer a mystery. It, it's open for everyone. They wanted to keep it a mystery so they could limit the, the people who had knowledge, had access to it. So that was part of the struggle that was going on there. All right, so we've talked about the hope. Uh, uh, well, there is a, this, in, in verse 27, um, notice it says, um, to, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So uh, there are several different ways of translating and, and interpreting this, I should say. Uh, one is that some take the expression as Christ within you. And while this is theologically correct, it doesn't make sense with the passage. It's like out of context. You ever had pastors that have done that? I've heard speakers that will take a passage and they'll teach on it. And what they're saying is right. It's not wrong. It just, it doesn't fit the passage. We talked about exegeting and exegeting a passage where you, you can ch change the meaning to make it uh, fit your, I, I remember I, I, I worked with one senior pastor years ago and uh, I would walk away from his messages going, man, my wife and I on the way home are going, that was a great message. Oh, I can't believe how great he was. I just, I just wish he used the passage that actually meant what he was teaching. I, don't, I didn't disagree with his teaching. I just disagreed with the application for that particular passage. It was so out of context with the whole, you know, with, with what he was saying or with, with the rest of the scripture around it that it didn't make sense to, to come up with that interpretation. I would say that is uh, true here. Judas, Judas hung himself. Uh, go and do likewise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is always my favorite way of uh, of trying to figure out what God wants you to do is you know just randomly flip flip through the Bible, stick your finger on a word, and say oh, and 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 learn whatever that word is or that concept is, and then do it again two or three times and come up with a whole list of things in which was, you know, Judas went out and hung himself. And then the next passage, you, you, you point to and go, go and do that likewise. Whoa, wait a second. I got to go hang myself? That's not true. You know? And that's what happens sometimes. You pull things totally out of context. Good, Larry. So, I um, 
to be clear, Val, what are which uh, phrase here is are you saying is out of context? Well, I'm not saying it. I'm saying that some of the people that take it is when they say that Christ within you, they thought they think that it's speaking about simply Christ's uh, the indwelling of Christ as a resident in the hearts of believers. And while this is true and it's taught in Scripture, I don't think it it fits the context. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't help in the developing of the theology of, of the indwelling Christ. Uh, others have said that it's Christ among you would be a better translation instead of Christ within you. <coughs> and among you would relate to uh, the Gentiles. And there's probably some truth maybe in that. But again, uh, understood this way, the passage is speaking about the blessing of Israel, specifically that Christ is a blessing for Israel and promised to all the world through the work of Christ. Uh, and that these blessings are available to non-Jews because Christ is at, was actually among them. And that's maybe, I, I think the better one is just simply to say this, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. This is the hope that they were hoping for, the thing that they were assured of. Uh, Christ is, and remember in New Testament, hope, is more, it does not mean a wishful thinking. And it's not like, when you wish upon a star, it's not Disney. It's an assured uh, assurance of something you know will happen because God has said it will happen. <coughs> it's an assured hope, an assurance that you know for certain. And I think this is the expression that means that Christ was their hope of receiving and participating in glory. Because of what he did, his death, his resurrection, and the Gentiles could expect to share in this glory, which again was the part that just blew them out of the water if you're a Jew. All right. Uh, one thing they didn't, they never expected was, they never expected that the Gentiles would be able to share in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them, like the Jews expected. Jews expected that, you know, the Spirit... Uh, this, the Spirit of Christ uh, came upon them or came, came within them, depending on the passage of Scripture. There are various passages in, in Genesis uh, uh, where uh, uh, Pharaoh says of, of Moses, he says that uh, there's no one like this man, one who in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Um, uh, the Lord says to Moses that Joshua was uh, a man in whom the it, it was the spirit. Um, da Daniel's is is uh, described in that way. Um, then there's also passages uh, where it says uh, that uh, Christ would dwell uh, with them. You know, you remember, you've got uh, God with us, which is what, what's the remember what the word is for God with us? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there was a um, a series of music, uh, musical, um, if you want to say, collections uh, that was called uh, "God with us, God in us, and God for us," uh, and all those are true. This, uh, uh, Val, I'm sorry. Yep, my Bible refers to Romans uh, eight ten. Yep. Uh, after mm -hmm. that phrase, and it and it's it's very similar, but it. It, it seemed to be more on the Holy Spirit within us. 
it starts off by the same. It says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Yeah, it, it, I, I tell you, this is one of those things that's really kind of tough when you start talking about trying to figure out, well, who exactly is indwelling us? Because there are passages where it seems to indicate that Christ indwells us. And then there are passages that are very strong and say it's the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And I'm not sure if maybe somehow or other both are true, but I think that maybe the Holy Spirit perhaps is Christ and God the Father's representative in us right now. And Jesus when, say in the in the book of John that he will be sending the Holy Spirit to be yep. in us. Yep. Right. And both are called uh, as as Jim likes to say para, parakeets. They're paracletes. And <laughs> the best way I can I can think about it, it yeah, what can I, I love it, man. It just it just fits. It's great. The way that I think about it is Tom, you you as a lawyer know that there are times when you go uh, when you have a group of lawyers working on a case, and sometimes they have different responsibilities, but they're all working on the same case. So think of it this way. You've got Jesus in the courtroom uh, making sure that uh, nothing is said that's contrary to what's true, what's true, which is that we are, we've been perfected in Christ. We have Christ's righteousness in us. And and uh, and put to our account, the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, is like the guy that's got to make sure that, uh, or or the lawyer, maybe not a guy, maybe a gal, that has to make sure that the uh, the person that's the accused gets to the court on time and is dressed appropriately and has all the right, you know, is doing everything that they're supposed to do so that they don't violate anything that the judge has told them. You know, you must do this, this, and this. So perhaps that, that that's what is going on here is that it's a it's a an effort by the entire godhead if you will to make us uh, in in perfect alignment with god but yeah you're right tom it is a it is a it does seem to indicate that and yet here it indicates that maybe that it's jesus and I, all i can tell you is i think that the spirit is as gary said the spirit is the representative of christ in us uh and as as god it's not like that one part of the Godhead doesn't know what the other part is doing. You, you do realize that, right? You, you can, it's not like you can go, you know, sometimes you go to mom and you say, mom, uh, you ask her if you can do something. And when she says, no, you go to dad and dad says, sure. And then he realizes, oh, maybe I need to find out what mom was saying. It's not that you can do that with, with God. You can go to part, part of the Trinity and say, hey, can I do this? And 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 that part of the Trinity gives you a, approval, but the next part doesn't, and they don't know each other. You know, and so you know what you learn very quickly as a dad is when your kids come and ask you something, you say, "Well, what did mom say?" <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have to do that with when you're the Trinity. Yeah, you know everybody. Every, it's 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 common knowledge among the three persons of the Trinity. All right, Does that makes sense, but maybe yep. not. Maybe it does. All right. The mystery of the Trinity. Oh, listen. Yeah. So I can't remember who it was that said, uh, I have to ask uh, my friend Kevin. He, he, he remembers it. But if you try, if you, without the Trinity, you're lost. 
but you try to explain the Trinity, you'll go crazy. <laughs> I, I don't understand, but that's, you know, it's a little, I think it's a little beyond my ability to uh, comprehend exactly how that all works with the Trinity. Every time right. I think I got a handle on it, I get it wrong. There are two things that uh, Jesus said. One was, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and that they're almost one and the same. And the other was, yep. I have to leave this world in order to send the Holy Spirit. Like there's yep. some cause and effect thing there, which I've never understood, but I guess I don't, that's what I it don't is. either. I don't either. In fact, <laughs> I think that he just, he wants the indwelling, the plan is the indwelling of the Spirit and, that, and a permanent indwelling of the Spirit within the believers. So I did want to look just a little bit, and we're going to still kind of parse our way through. Let's see how we do in time-wise. Oh, we got time. All right. So um, what are some of the evidences of spiritual maturity, which is what Paul is asking that would happen here in, uh, in this passage for the believers in Colossae and also in Laodicea and those that don't know him? Now, I'm, I'm taking this from Colossians 2.2. 2. One, it says that, uh, that their hearts might be comforted. Uh, this idea is encouraged. Uh, our English word encourage means to do it with heart. So an encouraged people is to give them new heart or new uh, hope, if you will. Uh, shallow sympathy is not what, what people need in times of struggle. Uh, they need uh, depth, and they need true spiritual encouragement. And I think when they have that, it'll make them better. You know, it, it's like when you go to a funeral home, you, we all have a tendency to say words that are just, they really don't have a lot of meaning, you know, to the per, the person that's going through <coughs> it at the time, because, well, it's it's just platitudes at times. But we, God wants us to be encouraged. So one of the things that happens with spiritual maturity is that we have an encouragement. By the way, these are all, uh, I, we, I alliterated this. There are four things, four E's. Encouragement is the first one. And that's uh, their hearts may be comforted. And it talks about in the King James, I think it says, being knit together in love. And, and this idea of love, I, I would take it as um, mature Christians love the brothers and they seek to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And and you'd be surprised how many troublemakers there are in our midst sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but God's plan for you as you mature is to be a peacemaker. So I would take that, this knit together in love, I would call that endearment. Uh, you, you're part of, you, as a, a mature Christian, as a peacemaker, you're part of the spiritual unity of the church. An immature person often is selfish and causes divisions. Well, you know, I wanted carpet and they went with tile. I can't believe they did it. Or they went with the wrong color. I can't believe they did that. Those are the types of things that, that cause division. And so endearment would be the next one. Then unto all riches of, of the full assurance of understanding. This is, again, uh, the riches that Paul mentions in, in Colossians 1, too. And I would say that this is enrichment, that God gives us all the riches. He enriches us. Uh, too many Christians live like paupers when they could be living like kings. And I'm not talking about wealth uh, from the standpoint of monetary or fi uh, financial. I'm talking about mature Christians 
understand that they don't have to complain about what they don't have. Rather, they make use of the resources that Christ has already given them. You know, when I was uh, early, early in several ministries, when I f first started, I, I could not hardly get budget to do anything uh, on some of the projects that I wanted to do for big programs. And so I had to get creative and use the resources that I had. Sometimes there were people that could come up and do things that I, that I couldn't get done. I couldn't, I couldn't hire done, but I had people in the church who could do it. I had some amazing carpenters. I had some amazing uh, directors. I had some amazing um, uh, set designers. Uh, it, you know, and it all came from volunteers because we couldn't do it on our own. We didn't have the budget. Um, so, and then we, we would plan to, to have something that we could use multiple times. We'd figure if we made something, we'd figure out how to use it more than once because we didn't always have the funds to make, to, to just go out and arbitrarily make something new again. We had a, a, a warehouse of, of stuff that we, that we'd saved and it was on shelves and labeled and et cetera. And so, you know, you needed a, whatever, you needed a, a Roman centurion helmet. We had them. And over the course of years, you needed, uh, uh, you know, we had a, a stage that looked like a barn on one side. You could flip it over and it looked like a palace on the other side, you know, all dependent on how you put it together. Uh, and we did it on per same piece of wood, same, same wood. We just, uh, we painted it different. Um, so we found out that we were rich in resources that we had. We just had to figure out how to tap into them. And then the last thing I would say is this, that in, is, is the full assurance of understanding. A mature believer is enlightened. A mature, a mature believer has the assurances that in his heart that he is a child of God. And the spiritual knowledge that he has in Christ constantly enlightens him and directs him daily. And if it doesn't, then it would say one of two things. Either one, you're not staying close to God, or two, you're not a follower of God. Be the two choices. All right, let's flee, shall we? Let's talk about a little bit about wisdom and knowledge. What's what's the? I think we talked a little bit about this last time, but we're gonna we're finishing up kind of twenty eight and going into twenty nine at this point. And twenty eight, twenty nine, and one and two of uh, second uh, second chapter kind of all fit together. So what's this uh, understanding? Uh, you know. God wants his children to have understanding and wisdom and knowledge. How does that work out? What is understanding? Well, understanding literally means to place together. It'd be like fitting pieces of puzzle together. I understand it now. It makes sense, right? I'm kind of going through that right now. I'm trying to install a vanity in my half bath. And, you know, you think you know what you're doing until you don't know what you're doing. Man, I tell you that it's, I have a three door vanity and uh, between the, the second drawer, door and the third door, there is a divider. It just so happens that my plumbing fits right exactly in the middle of where that divider is. That's where the drain is. Hmm. What are the odds? Sounds like a plan coming together. Thank you. That's exactly <laughs> what's going on. So <laughs> I'm planning on how I've got a, 
I got to cut the divider, uh, you know, to make room for the plumbing and say, like, okay, this is going to be fun. That's what I discovered last night. So I said, okay, that's today. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do it last night when I'm tired and mad and upset. Set it aside, come back to it today. So I understand now. I made a template. That's how I discovered it. I made a template. Oh, you got to be kidding me. This is going to be fun. Not, but anyhow, my problem, not yours. So that's the understanding. But then wisdom is the ability to defend what we understand. Knowledge suggests the ability to grasp the truth. So we want to have understanding, which is putting the pieces together. We want to have knowledge, which is the ability to grasp the truth, and wisdom, the ability to put it all together. Any of us have problems with doing that sometimes? It's hard. Hard? Is, yeah. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is wisdom also the ability to share? You know, uh, put, it, put it in an application for others? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose you could say. Yeah. You know, what, what? Remember what Scripture says in Psalms or in Proverbs about wisdom? Not really. Fear Proverbs of the Lord. two, one Fear through five. Is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. There's a lot about wisdom. Yeah, yeah. there is. Yeah. I went. I, I went out and thought. Okay, what, I'm going to do a study on wisdom. So I went out and I I gathered every. Uh, scripture that dealt with wisdom and I had pages and pages and pages <laughs> and I took a look at it and I go yeah I, it saved up in the cloud for another time <laughs> it's like a I'd DNA like, database yeah boy I tell you it was yeah I could use a uh, something that would search by uh, uh, word why well, I, I used word to, uh, a, a word search concordance to do the wisdom part as oh man yeah now i need a topical thing to, to develop it a little further anyhow so we god wants us to have wisdom and the way we get wisdom is we start to have a, an appropriate fear of the lord and by this i don't mean that we're cowering before him but that we are honoring him and attempting to please him and do the things that make him uh, happy, proud, if you will, uh, that shows that we're obedient, uh, that we have a, res a proper respect for him. And it means that we do the thing, do things the way that he thinks they ought to be done. The thing I find interesting when you read about wisdom is that for all the wisdom that Solomon had, look at the problems that he got into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think part of that is that, you know, he had wisdom, but I think he took his eyes off of God. Yeah. You know, it mm. tends to be where I run into trouble. Just saying. I always seem to run into trouble when I take my eyes off of him. And sometimes it seems like it's really hard to get your eyes back on him. Have you ever noticed that? No. Or am I the only one that struggles with that? No. Yeah. It's easy to get... You know, I feel a little bit sometimes like I'm, I'm, I'm uh, easily distracted. I don't know if that's ADD or what. Uh, maybe I have spiritual ADD at times. I think it's because we, we, we live in a place where it's hard to apply that because so much of it is not against it. 
Yeah, I think we're going to find that our um, our our position as believers is going to change in the coming years here in America, perhaps in the world. Certainly, I think in America, it'll be interesting to see how uh, what transpires. Um, I fear. I, I'm not fearful for myself, but I'm fearful for my my grandchildren, maybe my children, definitely yeah. my grandchildren. In what, How, in what way? I think we're becoming, we're going to become more and more post-Christian. And we, I think in many ways we are post-Christian. If you want to see what we're going to be like, look at, oh, as an example, Great Britain. It's a post-Christian Seattle, yeah, that would be another option. <laughs> yeah. At least a few blocks of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, rain and coffee. <laughs> Sorry, I, <laughs> yeah, it, Seattle and Britain is rain and coffee, right? The similarity. So. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I don't think of Britain as coffee. I think of it more as tea. But uh, but um, it's pretty coffee. It's pretty coffee based. Is oh. it really? I don't know. Every time I was there, I always, all they wanted to do is serve me tea. Oh, yeah, that's because you're a uh, uh, visiting American. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. I stayed with I stayed with a family in Northern Ireland uh, while I was there for about a week, and uh, one of the things that we did was uh, every you know we had tea time at what, four o'clock or something. There's always a pot of tea. <laughs> Anyhow, all right, so uh, notice that in verse 29, Paul says, for this I labor to the point of exhaustion. Um, you know, I, I think when it comes to prayer, we pray calmly and comfortably at times. And Paul doesn't really do that. It would appear that he... That for him, prayer often is a spiritual striving, you know. Uh, he, he exerts his spiritual muscles much like a, a runner would or, or a, an athlete would at, say, the Olympic Games. Um, doesn't mean that our, our prayers are more effective if we exert all kinds of fleshly energy. I'm not saying that, I, nor does it mean I think that we need to be wrestling with God, which is Another thing that we sometimes think that we have to do, um, you know, the only thing that comes out of wrestling with God is we end up walking with a limp. Just saying. I'll be here all week. Uh, try the roast beef. All right. So, uh, spiritual striving is is God's power at work in our lives. It's prayer that's directed by the Father. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It ought to be prayed through the Son. Uh, John 14, verse 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may, be, uh, may bring glory to the Father. You may ask of me anything in my name, and I will do it. And it also then you need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jude 20 says this, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in that your most holy faith and prayer in the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, then we pray mightily in the will of God. 
So I think, by the way, I think the Spirit assists us in prayer. Remember what it says in uh, Romans 8? When we don't even know how to pray, the Spirit does. Groans. Groans, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Spirit teaches us uh, uh, the Word of God, shows us the will of God, John 16. Prayer is not uh, our trying. By the way, here's another, this is important. And I, I constantly have to remind myself of this because you don't know how often I don't do this. Prayer is not our trying to change God's mind. It's trying to learn what the mind of God is and, and ask accordingly. His will be done. His will be done. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem so often is I, I go to prayer trying to change God's mind. We want him to uh, we want him to change some aspect of the world around us. Well, yeah, yeah, and that that's different than than changing God's mind. Mm -hmm. but, but to ask it in God's name and to ask it because we believe this is what what would bring honor to God. John, First John five says in verse uh, fourteen, and this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. And notice it has to be done in accordance to his will. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded again of the book that I love to hate. Uh, James says what? It says, and I'll probably have a hard time finding it quickly. Uh, <clears throat> says, why is it you don't have anything? This, uh, uh, in James 4. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires battling within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have it because you do not ask of God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Just saying, that's my problem too often. I'm praying for all the things that are going to be beneficial to me versus beneficial to the advancement of God's kingdom, which is why I'm here, supposedly. I just keep forgetting that. For some strange reason, I keep thinking it's all about me. <laughs> well, you're in good company. Yeah, I was going to leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> It's part of that magnetic personality. Everything's attracted to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. You know, when it comes to, there, there comes times when we don't feel like praying. And that's when we probably need to pray the most. Ephesians 3 tells us that uh, the resurrection power of Christ is made available to us. And... I believe that spirit can give us divine energy to pray in spite of the way we feel. You know, too often today, we, we, we tend to, to deal with things based upon our feelings versus based upon actual truth. You know, I've told, I've, I've mentioned this, you know, there are times you, your feelings lie to you. Why is it we think our feelings are true? They lie to us. A lot of times that's all. I'm sorry? No, no. It's a, because it, it's an emotion. It's, it's, uh, it's something that's present. And 
unfortunately, it's something that we have to sit and ponder and reflect on instead of react. Yeah. <laughs> feelings, we tend to react, at least I do. And uh, instead of wisdom is he who listens and takes in. And uh, Proverbs 1 through 6 just talks about that. You know, let's cry out for discernment. Like yeah. you said, not what I want, but what the Lord is trying to put in my life to make sense. Yeah, where James I should tells go. us to be quick to hear and quick slow to, to speak. Yeah. And my problem is that I sometimes know. I want to be quick to speak and slow to hear. <laughs> you know, there are times, sometimes I have to tell you this, this is one of my faults. I start, I listen to someone and I go, I've already jumped to the end of whatever they're going to say. I just wish I could crank it up to full speed so I get past it, so I can give them the answer that they need to have versus listening to them. You ever, does anyone ever get, you know, people say, I wish you just listened to me? But I already know what you're going to say. You, you open your mouth, you get three words out. I already know the end of the, of the conversation. I find my wife loves that when I do that. <laughs> really? Because, you know, mine doesn't. That's part of the problem. <laughs> you're, I don't know if you got the right definition, Tom. Because <laughs> all you do is hear, you don't listen. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you know, I, I'm going to have to tell you that I think you're right. Well, all I do is talk and not listen, so that works. <laughs> Well, Sometimes that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to resemble that remark. I'm going to read this. I'm going to leave this passage and uh, and say that we've dealt with it eff effectively. It's only been how many weeks that we've <laughs> dealt with this. But I, I still have, to be honest with you, application-wise, I have about eight pages of application, oh, just yeah. in case you want it. We won't, we won't go there. Up Thursday. Some of it is is superfluous. Some of it we've already talked about. Um, but uh, as we um, as we remember this, that um, God wants us the the identity and the purpose of our church of a church, the church, all of the church, the universal church. Present the word of God in its fullness to make known its glorious riches to all the world. Uh, the identity and purpose of the church is to proclaim Christ and to admonish and teach in all wisdom so that believers are firm in their faith. By the way, um, that reminds me, the, the word admonishment is in this passage. Sometimes we think of that as being uh, someone who is admonishing us. Now, you need to do right. And that isn't as much as perhaps the, the, the idea is that God wants it to encourage us, to exhort us, and, and the admonishment is to remind us, uh, not so much to scold us, okay? So to proclaim Christ and admonish and teach in all wisdom so that the believers are firm in their faith. Third, uh, the purpose of the church and the identity of the church is to create believers encouraged in heart, unit, united in love, and full of understanding. And then lastly, to reach out with good news to those whom have, have been deemed unworthy and excluded from the family of God and bring them into the family of God. And when we do that, I think that we are part of God's instruments that he uses to bring reconciliation to this world. All right.
I'm going to leave it at that and um, and say thanks for listening. Any 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 final comments on your part or questions? A wise man. Where that uh, last reading you just mentioned? Where was that from, Val? Last and oh, uh, it's it's here in. Um, um, I got to get back to Colossians. <laughs> in, in verse 28, it says, We proclaim here that admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that they may pray. That's verse 28. Oh, okay. Chapter 1. Yeah, the NLT says uh, warning. warning. Yeah, and, that, and that's, a, that's a, a possible way of defining that. Yeah. It's a possible way of defining that. I just think that sometimes admonishment is also an a form of encouragement. You can take it as a negative or as a positive. So often we get negatives on, on what we do. And I would like to think it'd be easier, it'd be maybe better for us if we admonish them in a positive way. Kind of the old Oreo effect, right? So in closing, Val, if you, I noticed that in 2.5, mm -hmm. it, it, it goes back again to the fact that Christ is absent from us in the body, but he's with us in the spirit. Yeah. We'll, we'll unpack it in the, in the days to come. Because I tell you, this is one of those things that, that theologians just, they struggle with, you know, is Christ, how is Christ here? And, and you know, we have the spirit of Christ and we have the, the Holy Spirit. And are they the same? Are they different? It would appear at times they're different. Other times it would appear as though they're maybe the same. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and it's, I keep changing my mind. It's kind of like trying to teach Revelation. <laughs> see, the Spirit of God brings us, I mean, the Jesus went back, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he's our comforter. Mm -hmm. Christ is within us now. I try to simplify that, <laughs> regardless of all everything in there in the word. Yep. yep, that's good, man. You're good. You you got that right idea. All right, good stuff. Thursday we'll be back with questions. Anyone that wants to come, that's great. I'll send them out. Develop, finish developing <coughs> developing them tonight, and hopefully I'm out to you tomorrow morning. Any closing thoughts? Wise man once said nothing. Ah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, I got a notification from Kensington, uh, Andrew Kim, actually, that on July 5th, they're having a prayer walk out of Troy, Kensington. Yep. yep for I saw about that. 30, 30 churches from inside Detroit and all around. In case you haven't seen about it, I think I it's I it. Where are they having it, Mike? Well, uh, it's Here. a walk coming out of Kensington's parking lot. Oh, okay, okay. I think it's July at two o'clock, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. You go on their site. I'm sure you'll find it. It's also on Facebook. And they've got thirty. Yeah, Andrew Kim put about it out. It. Not Andrew. Uh, Jalen. He's the one putting it on. Yeah. Jalen, I'm sorry. Would you Did get on my email? Hear anything about when they're gonna? I got it through service? the Facebook. I'm sorry. When they're yeah. gonna start in-person services? 
I haven't heard anything. I Mike. still think it's the end of summer. Okay. At my little tiny church, we're starting this weekend. I am. Uh -huh. my, my brother in law's church started uh, this uh, two, last Sunday or the Sunday before. They were, they were well, they started about in Traverse City. Yeah. Did you hear anything about that? How it went? No, but I can't find anybody who knows what went on. You can call up there and ask. I saw I saw a mention on Kensington's website that when they do start down here, it's going to be via ticket, like they do at Christmas yeah. and Easter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, so they'll they, limit they, the number of people. You'll have to go online and get a ticket. Yeah, yeah. they did that. I think for for uh, Traverse City as well. I think. Are they open, Travers? Yeah. Oh, cool. I know St. Andrews in uh, Rochester, that's what they did. They do it by ticket, sort of. You go online and because they only can have 150 people in the church. Oof. Rick, how's your church doing it? Rick, how's well, your we church? Ask. Darn it, I can't think of the name. <laughs> Lake, Lake, what is it? Uh, is it? Lake Point or something like that? Yeah, Lake, Lake Point, one word. Uh, it's on 24, it's on uh, Van Dyke at 24 Mile. It used to be, I think, Faith or something like that. I remember we used it uh, at Kensington. And so, how, are they, how are they doing it, Rick? Uh, um, we have about 300 seats and they're having 150. So you, that's why I'm surprised that they can only have 150 as big as Kensington is. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to have 150 like that. And we may go to three services instead of two. Yeah. Do you have to have tickets? No. They just shoot you if you don't have one. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, I, so, so far I haven't heard that. No. It's, it's, well, as long as they don't set up the, uh, the extra camera outside that's really not necessary that Trump found out back in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're going to have you doing the shooting, right? <clears throat> I heard, I heard an interesting thing, and I don't know if it was how accurate it was. Supposedly, somebody went there to go to the the. the to, I'm sorry. Do you want your recording on or shut it off now? Yeah, it's a good idea. Let's <laughs> shut it off. 